This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, good afternoon in New York, right? Uh, yes, it's 2.34 here, so it is afternoon. Yep, and it's still uh, 11.30. We're not um, into uh, the afternoon yet here. So it's January, a little dull, isn't it? It's a little gray here. Yeah, I think that, you know, January and February are can be difficult months, and especially if you've had a loss, because it's it's dark a lot of times, and it's at least on the East Coast, it's cold, and so oftentimes you're inside, you don't get a lot of light or a lot of sun, and I think that makes people feel bad anyway. Yeah, you know, we've had people uh, t- on our show before talk about light and the importance during this time of year, maybe even getting one of those lights that mm-hmm. you can buy that uh, gives you, yeah. uh, I guess it's vitamin, is it vitamin B, yeah, vitamin B12 that you get from your, the sun, and, and people really do need that. So uh, there's been some pretty successful stories, people talking about the light, hasn't there, Heidi? Yes, I've heard amazing things about those lamps that you can, that you buy yeah. and sitting under them for a couple of minutes a day or 20 minutes a day and how it, it really benefits people. Yeah, and, uh, you know, if, if the sun breaks in your area, make sure you get out in it for, like, only 20 minutes, so... Well, well, Mom, you're making a good point because I think that's the other thing. I think that oftentimes, I mean, here in New York, we go to Central Park and we exercise, and and a lot of times in the winter, we don't exercise enough. So not only are we not getting enough light, we're eating more than usual because it's cold, and we're not exercising. Yeah, and so we want you to remember to get some exercise, and um, strange as it sounds, drink a lot of water. Uh, because I know when you've had a loss, uh, sometimes you get pretty dehydrated, and and you really do. In January and February are important times to take care of yourself, so we really want you to do that. And our guest today, uh, Kim Klux and Meredith, is going to be able to talk to us a lot about that, taking care of yourself, because in reading her book, uh, Listen for the Whispers, it's a wonderful book, and um, she really talks a lot about taking care of yourself, too, after uh, her husband died and David, and we'll talk a little bit about that. So, how do you want to um, introduce Kim a little bit? Yes, I do. I'm, I'm really looking forward to having her on the show. Her, her website is beautiful, and her story is so moving. Um, as you said, Mom, Kim was a young mother, and she lost her, her, hus- her husband. David got in an, a, an accident, a car accident, and he was paralyzed from the neck down and tragically ended up dying. And she wrote a book called Listen for the Whispers, Coping with Grief and Learning to Live Again. And it talks about her not only surviving the loss, but going on to find hope and eventually thriving. So I'm so interested to hear more of her story. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on the show, Kim. And uh, as I said, uh, I'm sure you remember those past Januaries when it was tough after uh, David died. Absolutely. Well, also, he died in February, so winter is Mm. still a difficult reminder for me. You have those anniversary dates in mind, so winter is a difficult time even now. Mm -hmm. And now, how many years has it been since he died? It has been 19 years, Mm -hmm. and um, it doesn't seem that long. 
You know, uh, in reading your book, I, I was really interested in um, the fact that uh, after his automobile accident, you were able to what you called the full cycle of uh, being able to say goodbye to him because he was in the hospital, and although he couldn't talk, right? That's correct. It, it was very unusual. He was paralyzed from the neck down, so he lost all ability to communicate, and he would blink his eyes, but for some reason I was able to read his lips, and we communicated that way for his remainder of his two weeks. Mm -hmm. And so, as you said in your book, you were able to kind of complete the cycle of your life with him, which many of us don't have the opportunity to do, but you were able to even plan the funeral, right? It really was a gift that I was given. I had time to plan his funeral. Uh, He had time to give me the gift to permission to move on. Uh, In his final days, he said to me, please get married again, have a wonderful life, which was difficult for me to accept then, but now I just cherish that gift, that permission that he gave me in his final days. Mm -hmm. Wow, I have chills, Kim, and I'm, I'm absolutely shocked that David was able to kind of accept the fact that he was dying and and say to you, you know, you're going to have a life without me and I want you to have a good one. What an amazing gift he gave you. He was an extremely generous person and we just had this soulmate connection. In fact, he had asked me to help him with his death when he was, he knew his life was over and he asked me to go before the ethics committee at Jefferson Hospital. He had not provided advanced directives for himself, unlike other clients he had done. And so I went before the ethics committee trying to convince them that his life was over and to please let him die with dignity. So and meaning so take him off a respirator? He, he That's was, correct. He yeah, was still on the respirator. He was on the respirator. And he had been an attorney. So um, That is correct. Yeah. yeah. So, and and as the story goes, he died before he he kind of beat the ethics committee to it, and died before before that. Well, you know, uh, you've got so many. Your book is so well written, and and for people who've lost a spouse, I mean, you talk about you know really the detailed nitty gritties of being in your bed and not having the person next to you, and the fact that you're used to sleeping on one side, and you feel like you have to stay on that side, and you can't move over, right? All of those things you you take for granted, and they're just rituals at night. And then when it changes, you it's really just in your face, and you don't know how to react to it. Yeah, and uh, I was also interested when you talk about that you went and Heidi. I think this is important. She went to a support group once and decided it wasn't for her. And and we talk about that, don't we, Heidi? It's not for everybody. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I thought that was interesting. And then you went home and you had two uh, young kids uh, and you felt like that, you know, being home with them and and doing that. And it it was interesting how you took sort of a different approach to it. Were you working then? Yes, I was. Fortunately, I had just gone full-time as a high school Spanish teacher about a couple of months before David's accident. So fortunately, I did have full-time employment with benefits, so I was very lucky in that case. Mm -hmm. Now, what about whispers? Why did you call it whispers? I kept having these feelings when I was journaling. I started the book just as something for myself, and I kept getting drawn back to it, and these little voices in my head would be guiding me, and I decided to call these whispers, and whether they were God's messages for me, whether they were my just inner thoughts, I wasn't sure but they became louder and louder, and they were the ones that really directed me to my healing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think 
probably all of us know that whether we call it instinct or whispers or if we move uh, with the energy and take care of ourselves, uh, we find that when we have loss, um, uh, we talk about looking for signs and things. Uh, Heidi, do the whispers mean something to you? As far as looking for signs? Yeah, for what happened in your life. Did you get feelings of what to do? Well, I mean, I'm not really sure what you're asking. You mean about about signs and seeing signs? Uh-huh, for yourself. I know, I know you've talked about when you were on outward bound and you had uh you couldn't make it and you had something pushing you. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's where I thought you were going with this, but yes, I mean, I've felt Scott's presence around me a lot over the last, you know, 20 years and felt him with me a lot. And like we always say on the show, Mom, we we find di- we find dimes a lot. Our family does, and I do when I really need him and I want to tap in. I I do sometimes feel him, and also if I want to, I now if I really want to visit with him, I can kind of think about him before I go to sleep at night, and often have dreams about him, which I love doing. Initially, I couldn't do that because initially the grief got in the way of me being able to do that in my life. It was so painful initially that even to see him in the dreams was painful. Now seeing him in my dreams is, is wonderful. Mm-hmm. So sometimes our grief gets in the way of even wanting to remember people initially, I think. Absolutely. If you can relax and, uh, and try to get those whispers, I think it's important. I love that you call it whispers, Kim. Well, what do you think the biggest challenges facing a young widow are? I mean, you were a young widow. Yes, I was 40 when David died, and Samantha was 12, wow. and Richard was 10. And mm. I think probably was one of the first things was adjusting to that label, widow, and I would have to fill out forms and releases, and I would have to check off that box. And I found it very offensive because literature pretty much painted an ugly picture of a widow, and I didn't view myself that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and being so young, I mean, I've been working with 9-11 widows for you know, nine years, and most of them are very young. And they, they, when they think of widow, they think of somebody that's much, much older. And oftentimes when they would go to support groups, in fact, it would be people that were far older than 40. They couldn't really identify with somebody so young without a spouse. That's exactly just a lack of identity, and that's why I couldn't find any resources and why I started writing. And also in society, things are very much paired up and you don't know where you fit in, and your friends that are in pairs don't know what to do with you, and it's difficult. I tried a couple of times sitting alone in a restaurant. That's very uncomfortable because I started thinking people were just looking at me and wondering why I was a misfit. So just being comfortable with my new status, and I think that was the first biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. And uh, the routine of going to work, how long did you wait before you went back? Well, unfortunately, I... The time was prescribed for me, the number of bereavement days I was given, and since I didn't want to lose my employment, I had to go back within seven days. Mm, wow. That was mm. very difficult, and in a way, sometimes I felt I was reaching back into my theatrical training, and I would pretend during the day to be this other person, and then at night, the real me came out, and that's when I started journaling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you have any special things that you did when you got home to take care of yourself? Well, of course, being with the children. And they, we were a very close family before David died and are even more so now. So they brought me so much joy, and I tried to keep the routines of a very traditional family. And then at night I would walk our dog, Harry, and I 
would talk to Harry when I would walk with him at night and look up in the sky and, and try and get some more wisdom and knowledge. And so I found that a, a walk at night would just kind of clear my mind before I went to bed. Mm-hmm. So so walking and uh, is a great way to take care of yourself. Well, uh, and then uh, as time went on, you started dating. Tell us about that. I know that's a big thing for people out there. When do you start dating? You had permission from David to to marry again, which is pretty amazing. Um, and how did that go? I mean, did you feel disloyal? I did. When he gave me that permission, of course, I just put that away in my mind, and I didn't realize at the time the significant of significance of it. And then the children were young, so I really wasn't interested. Um, a college friend came back into my life, a very dear friend of mine that I had dated for a number of years. And we reconnected for a while, and he had been recently divorced, and it was a very comfortable space to be in. However, I wasn't ready to leave the kids on their own, um, and they really needed me so much. So he asked me to marry him, and I actually said no. Mm-hmm. And I felt that, again, not only disloyal to David, but to the children. I had made a commitment until they were going to be out of school and strong enough to be on their own. Mm-hmm. And they actually were the ones who gave me their permission and found my current husband for me. Ah, they they li- kind of a lineup there, right, as I remember in the book? That's correct. It was a blind date, and so my children felt it was time. They appreciated all the support that I gave them, and now it was my turn. Wow, what a gift, Heidi, don't you think? I mean, we hear some real... Uh Tough stories about people who their kids don't want them to date or there's, you know, they feel disloyal or it's kind of amazing, isn't it? Well, I wanted to, uh, you've got some wonderful ideas in the back of your book for, for people. And I, this is, your book is such a good resource and, and very interesting because you're, um, you're so personable and, you know, really tell what the difficulties are. But you've got some suggestions for people. And I, I love uh, some of it. You suggest to people that they have fun and laugh and uh, those kinds of things, which I think we shouldn't forget about. It's really important to, to not lose yourself in your grief. And I'm a lighthearted person. I'm a person who likes fun. And you have to give yourself permission to have fun again. It's hard to do. You don't want to be disrespectful, but laughing and having fun is very important. And you even say, go to a circus or go to a funny movie or, you know, uh, figure out ways to um, to get yourself to laugh again. And what about getting out? I mean, uh, do you think you can get too insulated after you've had a loss like this? Oh, absolutely. It's comforting and it's safe to be in your home. And it was difficult for me just even to be going out to the mall because at first I really did feel in a small community that people were looking at me and they were checking out how I was reacting and I wasn't sure how I was supposed to be reacting. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I I didn't have the energy to go out, but I would push myself. And, of course, teaching gave me the opportunity um, every day to be in front of teenagers, and you really can't hide your feelings too well from them every day. Now, what about, um, you talk about caller ID and telephone calls, and what about that? Well, I found that it was important to also be safe. Uh, I felt a little vulnerable as a single person again, and responsible, the head of the household, for two young children. So I started to really worry about um, how people might 
possibly take advantage of me if I didn't know. So I wanted to make sure I had all my bases covered. So I got caller ID. Well, part of that was to screen calls. A few well-meaning friends had set me up on some dates that really were not the best idea. So I, I had to make sure that I wasn't fielding any unwanted calls. And also just to make sure that everything was in place so that my home environment was safe. And I think that's really an important thing to do. And you've got a lot of other wonderful advice here besides uh, just telling your story and, and how life goes. But some of the things, um, which I think this is really important, read your mail carefully and read the small print. If you've been a person, you know, who kind of relies on your spouse, male or female, make sure that you um, do that kind of thing and see your lawyer. And certainly, I think for you, it, you know, your circumstance shows that people, everyone needs to have a living will, right? That is very important to have, definitely. Yeah. And we, we always put off things. We don't know what our timeline is, and certainly David did not expect to die at age 44. Well, Kim, I want to thank you for being on the show, and I would recommend your book very highly to uh, anyone who is widowed, and it's just a wonderful, uh, or a widower, and it's just a wonderful good read, too. And give us your website again. Okay, my website is kimcluxonmeredith.com. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Kim. Thank you very much for having me. Heidi, uh, it's been a great show today. It's been great having Kim on, and I know she uh, can be a great help to other people. And we uh, wish you all a, a good new year and hope that you'll be taking care of yourself. Tune in again next week. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.